Make the most out of your daily commute or next road trip in a new Audi from Audi Atlanta. And what better way to do it than behind the wheel of a stylish Audi A5 Sportback? Hey, it's Finn, along with my friends at Audi Atlanta, here to introduce this city to the Audi A5 Sportback. With a versatile and athletic design, the beauty lies within, combining the sleekness of a coupe with the practicality of a four-door hatchback. And right now, you can lease the Audi A5 Sportback for $537 per month. Find yours at AudiAtlanta.com. And use the Jim Ellis Expressway to start or complete your entire purchase online or shop in person on Petrie Boulevard just inside the perimeter. Experience the thrill of driving like never before at Audi Atlanta. Offer applies to a 36-month lease, 2024 Audi A5 Sportback 40, 537 per month, 10,000 miles per year with 4731 due at signing. Example stock number A25954 MSRP 49,905 excludes tax, tag, and title fees. Offer expires 531.24 with approved credit. Are you working? What kind of work do you do? This is the Punt and Pass Podcast. Touchdown, baby! Now, here are your hosts, two-time All-American punter Drew Butler. Mark Rick would like Drew Butler to hit it a mile in the air. And he did. What a catch. And the SEC's career leader in touchdown passes and completions, Aaron Murray. Touchdown! In stride as he crosses the goal line. Put it right on his hip. What a throw. Now, with the latest from around the SEC and the world of college football, it's the Punt and Pass Podcast. Get to the house! Sideline! Pylon! Touchdown! And the dogs are on the board first. Victory is mine. Yeah, surprisingly, I've been lame. All right, here we go. Wednesday, March 18th. This is the Punt and Pass Pandemic Podcast, the Quarantine Chronicles, as I'm calling it. I'm your host, Drew Butler, obviously. A special guest joins us. One of my very close friends, somebody who I've been trying to get on the podcast for a very long time, but he never answers my phone calls, never returns my text messages. He just dodges me because he's big time. It's Blair Walsh, of course, one of my close buddies, former Georgia kicker, former NFL Pro Bowler, all pro, all around, great guy. Follow the show on social media, at Punt and Pass. I'm at Drew Butler 13 and Blair is at Blair Walsh 3. Blair, thanks so much for joining us, brother. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Just staying in our little quarantine zone of Orange County, California. I hope you guys are... Uh, it's time to answer your texts and phone calls now, so that's a good that's a good thing from this. Yeah, I um, that was a little bit of a joke. Blair and I obviously mess around a good bit, being good buddies. But I'm glad to have you on the podcast. So much going on in the world. We're just getting away from the coronavirus madness. It seems like every single day, um, more bad news. That's why we're doing the quarantine chronicles just to talk about what else is going on what's going on in the world of sports not much but we've got some nfl news we can talk about that i want to know at the top of the show though what's going on in the world of blair walsh because you jumped into the nfl had a great career i think though you're about to become the graduate of the university of georgia in a short time correct yeah should be done by uh mid-summer you know as long as everything else kind of stays in place yeah just finally getting a degree, making mom happy, and uh, seeing what happens. That's awesome, man. What are your plans with that degree? I mean, huge hat tip. I don't know if I could do that right now. Um, craziness. I-, I know it might be a little bit easier doing some online classes from your sweet balcony in Orange County, California, though. Yeah, it's not bad doing it out here. Being online makes it extremely easy. And uh, as your dad knows, it's never too late to actually finish a degree. So uh, 
he's a little bit of an inspiration to me. So thank you for what it's worth. I mean, after that, I love a degree in communications. And I know you and I were excited about going to this uh, NFL broadcast boot camp here in uh, Ohio next month, but obviously that is not going to happen. So have to wait a little bit longer to see what opportunities arise from that. But doing the best we can over here. Yeah, no question. Blair and I both applied for and got accepted into a really cool program that the NFL puts on called the Broadcast Boot Camp. It was supposed to be at Bowling Green University, Bowling Green State University uh, in Toledo, Ohio. That, of course, has been canceled. We're going to meet a lot of great people, do some really cool work. Um, But I also saw you were messing around. You were at NFL Network. You've been kind of dabbling in broadcasting a little bit, trying to explore what some opportunities could be like in that. Um, Anything that you found very interesting? Are you going to get into the podcast game? What's up? Uh, Honestly, I'm so infantile in this whole process that I'm just trying to figure things out, working with a guy that's definitely going to, you know, help me in that process. And, um, you know, I got to see how the NFL network runs, which is very, very cool. Um, you know, it's nice being out here in LA because you're close to everything and there's so much on the West coast of, uh, with media, it's just, you know, you don't have to travel that much. Um, so that's definitely a benefit for me and uh, we'll see. I mean, I know everybody wants to hear the opinion from a, you know, an NFL kicker, but uh, be interesting. <laughs> yeah, that you know, that's honestly one of the things that I've run up against. Some of the pushback that I've gotten being a punter, Blair, and, and I'm sure that you've heard the same thing. Being a kicker, I know you're very knowledgeable about football. I know you know a ton about football and can talk about football. But people put kicker, punter next to your name, and for whatever reason, talent producers, talent recruiters see that as a stigma. I feel like I can talk circles around a lot of different people regarding the sport. I feel like you and I also could offer very unique perspectives that you can't get from your stock linebacker or your stock defensive lineman or your, of course, quarterback that you see on the networks. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I just think there is a place for different perspectives that can be offered from somebody with a special teams background. Because again, yeah, we don't practice as much with the team. We're not out there grinding for two and a half hours during practice, but we sure as hell sit out there, take in the game and understand what is going on from a week to week basis. So if you and I need to start like a union against talent producers, against uh, talent recruiters for the uh, displacement for kickers and punters or the stigma against kickers and punters, we could certainly start that. We're going to talk about some of the NFL news that's breaking. Tom Brady, it seems like he's going to the Buccaneers. That's all but been done and decided. DeAndre Hopkins, David Johnson trade, that obviously was huge. Nick Foles going to the Chicago Bears. Cam Newton maybe to the Chargers. So much going on, but before we get to that, I want to talk about the XFL. What were your thoughts on the XFL um, or the AAF even? Let's go back to last year because Wes Blankenship was on the Quarantine Chronicles uh, a couple days ago, and he asked me about the AAF. I had an opportunity to try out for the Atlanta team. Wasn't really interested in it, Blair. That was when we had just moved back to Atlanta. We were about to have our first kid. That's kind of when I decided that I was done with football. Did you have any interest in the XFL, the AAF? Are you still kicking? What's going on? No, I I didn't have any interest in the XFL, and not because of of the league itself. I actually think when you looked at the product on television, it was a very watchable and consumable product. I mean, you got – guys that were right on the edge of being on NFL rosters playing. And so that aspect of it, and I think Oliver Luck's done a fantastic job as their commissioner. I mean, you probably could not have found a better guy to do it. Um, 
that being said, it just wasn't something that fit my lifestyle. I still haven't really made a decision on the whole next step NFL-wise. So as you know, with our position, you can get a call any day. As long as you're relatively uh, healthy and training, you can get a call and fill in whenever. So we'll see what, what comes down the line for that. But to me, the XFL worked. Um, I didn't think the AAF did. I thought that there was something gimmicky about the AAF. I couldn't really put my finger on it. But even when I watched it, it just didn't seem like real football. It's, it felt like almost beyond semi-pro. Um, but to me, the XFL did work. Uh, I don't know whether it was the fact that they got to play in some NFL stadiums and the camera angles and the, the broadcast crews that they had on it. But, you know, I actually found myself kind of tuning into some games and being like, man, you know, this could work. And I, I didn't feel that way with the AAF. So, you know, I understand your hesitation to even try out for them and, you know, that decision you made was obviously much more personal, but yeah, I, I, I was sad to see that they got canceled down, you know, along with everything else in the sports world. Yeah, the XFL seemed to make the right decision by getting completely immersed in football. You said the AAF kind of felt gimmicky. It was put together real hastily. I think that was their biggest issue, right? They announced the league was starting and said, hey, in eight months, we're playing our first game. I mean, there is a lot of logistical needs that come down to, one, playing a football game, two, starting a brand-new football league. The XFL had a two-year head start. They got Oliver Luck. They got a friend of mine named Sam Schwartzstein, who's a director of football operations they did it the right way they did the research they announced the cities early and like you said from the broadcast down to the new rules they made it about the football i think that was the right thing you can look at the viewership numbers however you want to but it certainly seems like with the backing of vince mcmahon the leadership of oliver luck and the on-field product the xfl will be back in years to come what could hurt them though is the new NFL CBA that's been put in place, 17-game seasons in a couple of years, longer playoffs, more playoff games. That's just going to extend deeper into the wintertime and spring and cut into that XFL season. So who knows? But let's talk about some of this XFL news, Blair. I know you have some thoughts. The biggest news is the Tom Brady news. I mean, I did not think Tom Brady was going to leave the New England Patriots. Clint Bowling and I talked about it yesterday. The news broke right after we got done recording that Brady was, in fact, going to the Bucks. Of course, I picked him going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because I'm always right. Clint said that he thought the Chargers could have made a better offer, but here it is. Brady is going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Did you see this happening? What are your thoughts on where Tampa is now and where New England is now? Because I saw a great meme today. And memes are firing off right now because everybody's on social media. And it was a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan with a picture of Tom Brady in a Bucks jersey and Blair. It said, "If you weren't with us when we were seven and nine, then we don't want you when we go eight and eight. Which I laughed at. I thought that was really funny. How do you see these two teams playing out? You think it's right for Brady to jump ship and go get his bag? Uh, I definitely understand where Brady's coming from. And to me, the Bucks offensively make sense. I mean, if you look at their weapons and you look at the guys that they have from Mike Evans to Chris Godwin to OJ Howard and with Bruce Arians behind the offense, they, they have the ability to put up some serious numbers. And Tom has the ability to kind of resurrect his statistical career. Because if you look at Tom Brady's numbers, they haven't been that great. They weren't that great in New England the last year. And part of that was the fact that the scheme they ran didn't really allow them to sling the ball around the field. And quite frankly, he didn't have a lot of weapons. Um, he won't have that problem in Tampa. However, 
I think you're not really looking at the complete picture of the Buccaneers and the fact that they're not really a complete football team. They couldn't really finish games late last year. I know they had some special teams issues with, you know, having a young kicker and that happens. Um, I think if Tampa wants to be truly successful, they always need to make a splash somewhere on defense. And, you know, this is my bias. They need to go find a veteran kicker that, you know, they can rely on 24 seven because, you know, if you look at Tom Brady's career in New England, he had Steven Gostowski and, you know, he's, he's making field goals at an 86, 85% rate. And, um, Adam Vinatieri yeah, as I well. <laughs> Say it again. I said, and he had Adam Vinatieri when he was younger. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was speaking obviously recently, but yeah, you're correct. I mean, he's had two just hall of fame level kickers and, For me, though, I think one of the biggest things for Brady is that he looked around and he said, how is my talent offensively going to get any better at New England? I think he made the hard decision of it's not. Um, Their division was very winnable, but they're going to play a first game uh, schedule next year, which a lot of people don't realize, or first place schedule, I should say. And a team like Tampa is playing a third place schedule. Uh, That's a big difference. Um, You know, you're going to go play the third best team from other divisions whereas they would have to go face you know some of the heavy hitters um i also think the two elite teams in the nfl are on the afc side uh, i don't think baltimore or kansas city are going anywhere and the idea that you know you're not going to have that automatic home buy is a big issue um and you know the road doesn't always go through foxborough in that situation so i think tom made the right call moving to moving off but I think Tampa needs to make some uh, some moves here in free agency in order for them to be truly competitive. No, you're totally right. And for our listeners, when Blair says the Patriots are playing a first-place schedule and the Bucks are playing a third-place schedule, every year where you placed in your division the previous year, you play the other teams in other divisions that placed the same. So, for example, the Patriots finished first in the ASC East. They will play the Kansas City Chiefs, who finished first in the AFC West, the Baltimore Ravens, who finished first in the AFC North, and uh, who finished in the AFC South? The Titans. They will finish uh, in the AFC South first, or the Texans, whoever it was. Crazy, though. You're totally right. I didn't even think about that. In the NFC South, for example, look at the quarterback situation there now. Teddy Bridgewater in Carolina, an older Drew Brees, a much older Drew Brees in New Orleans, Matt Ryan, of course, for the Falcons, and then you have Brady in Tampa Bay. It's just nuts. I don't know if we could sit here and say who won the – it wasn't a trade, but if Tampa Bay is going to be that much better. Uh, I spoke about it yesterday because I was on those Bruce Arian Arizona Cardinal teams. Sure, he resurrected Carson Palmer's career, and Carson was unbelievable. He'll go down as one of the best Cardinals um, in recent history, for sure, leading us to the NFC Championship game in 2015. But you look at the style of the offense B.A. runs. I mean, he takes shots downfield, and he needs his quarterback to sit in the pocket and deliver the ball downfield with very legitimate deep threats and quick guys who can expose over-the-top coverage. With that being said, Carson took a lot of hits. He got injured a couple of times. Drew Stanton, backup quarterback, took a lot of hits. He got injured a couple of times. The durability of Tom Brady is one thing that I question a lot, and they better get that offensive line tight because you know exactly what you're going to get when you go against a Bruce Arians-led offense. Jameis Winston had every opportunity, and he did have a lot of success, but also had a ton of interceptions last year. Of course, he had the famed 30-for-30 season, 30 touchdowns, 30 picks. And Blair, I don't know if you saw the video 
video that came out yesterday, but somebody, I mean, everybody has way too much time on their hands. Somebody cut up all of the dropped interceptions from last year that Jameis Winston had. Now, when I say dropped interceptions, I'm not saying the ball touched the DB's hands. I'm saying hit him in the face mask, hit him in the numbers, flat out dropped, and he had 20 dropped interceptions last year. He could have thrown easily 40 picks last year. So Brady's going to have the opportunity to air it out. He's going to have the opportunity to prove that he still has got it. I'm really interested in the dynamic between B.A. and Tom Brady because B.A. is a very sharp dude. He's the no-risk-it-no-biscuit mentality. He's going to sit there and say, after a game, if Brady were to screw it up, he'll probably blame Tom. I mean, I'm not even kidding you. That is the type of coach he is. That's the type of style that he operates in. So I'm really interested to see how it plays out. But but can you even envision Brady in a Bucks jersey? I mean, because I can't, Blair. Can you can you realize that? I know you've seen the pictures on social. Well, thankfully those uniforms are going by the wayside because they are getting new uniforms. But no, I mean, even when you see those pictures, it's just it's almost unsettling to see Tom Brady in anything but that twelve and that blue. No I, I just like you said, you, you made a great point about Bruce Arians. Um, he does want you to air it out and kind of sit in the pocket. Um, one of those things Tom Brady does really well, which is sit in the pocket. The other one, they have not thrown a ton of deep balls in New England since the Randy Moss era. Um, so I'll be interested to see how Tom kind of adapts to that. I mean, you're talking about the greatest quarterback of all time. So who am I to sit here and say that he won't? But yeah, it's a really interesting point you brought up on the fact that they do throw a lot of deep balls, and Tom has really not done that in New England a ton in the last few years. Um, you're right. They need to go kind of solidify that offensive line, too. And, um, I mean, you would know better than anybody else how they, how they run that offense. It's crazy because when I was there, um, let's just say we got the ball punted to us, two-minute warning before the half, Say we had no timeouts and there was 45 seconds left on the clock and we have the ball, the Cardinals have the ball on our own 18-yard line. Usually what happens? A kneel, you toss the ball to the ref, and everybody goes in for halftime. I would be in the net, Blair, getting a few kicks in because B.A. would go toss it deep, four seconds off the clock. Toss it deep, another four seconds off the clock. Toss it deep again, there's 20 seconds left in the half, and we're going out there to punt fourth and ten. I mean, that's no joke. That's the type of offense that he runs, and that just shows you how aggressive that he is. So we'll all obviously be able to figure out um, how Brady operates in that offense. And again, without the OTAs happening, the NFL is suspended operations indefinitely. That's just more time that he doesn't get to really get a hold of this offense and his teammates. I want to take our attention, though, to the trade that happened two days ago. And that, of course, is the DeAndre Hopkins-David Johnson trade. More news came out today. Michael Irvin on Get Up talking about what Bill O'Brien said to DeAndre Hopkins. We'll touch on that. Where do you stand with this trade, though? Because I'm sitting here going, you know what? Rarely in the NFL does one team just make out like a bandit, highway robbery. I think there's a lot of value with David Johnson, especially with what they gave up, a second-round pick or a fourth-round pick in DeAndre Hopkins. If DJ's healthy in the right system with Deshaun Watson, I think you could be looking back on this at the end of next year saying, well, maybe Bill O'Brien wasn't that dumb. Yeah, I mean, you beat me to it, bud. Um, that's why great minds think alike. I, yes. The hot, you know, the popular take was that the Texans got fleeced, and it's just not the case. Um, they had a receiver that they didn't want to give a contract extension to and pay, or or I should say, weren't willing to pay. And I think other teams knew that. So 
your value automatically is going to be less in the trade market when they know that you're not going to end up paying him and giving him that lucrative extension that he wants. So they go out and they get a high second rounder. It's not a late second rounder. It's a high second rounder. And they get a guy that, if he's healthy, like you said, is all pro level at the running back position and can catch the ball out of the backfield, which is so huge in today's NFL. Um, you know, the Texans, it's nice to have DeAndre Hopkins. You know, he is an absolute threat on at any time on the field and probably a top two receiver, if that's fair. Yeah, but I would say top two for sure. Have a guy I mean, like the, No doubt. Right. And I mean, everybody knows that this draft class is just riddled with wide receiver prospects. And the Texans have plenty of picks and now have a couple of nice high picks. So go out, get a young receiver that you don't have to pay a fortune to. Go get an established veteran running back like David Johnson, who is motivated and hungry to kind of resurrect his career here. And, and as long as he stays healthy, I don't see any reason why he can't be a top five back. So if you really look at the trade, they didn't really come out that poorly on it. And they're, they have to play the long run um, or the long game, I should say, to – have people think that about that trade but it was nowhere near as that as poor of a decision as people were making it out to be and it just kind of exposes the business side of the nfl you and i have both been on the good side and the bad side of the business aspect of the nfl michael irvin goes on get up this morning Talking about how he spoke with DeAndre Hopkins. Hopkins said him and Bill O'Brien had a falling out last year. Then he goes on to say Bill O'Brien compared him to Aaron Hernandez. Was talking about how he had too many baby mamas around the locker room. Like some completely outrageous things were said. And then, of course, everybody starts reporting on it, giving their own opinion. I tweeted out this morning, hold on a second. I'm not going to take Michael Irvin's word for this when DeAndre Hopkins hasn't said anything, right? All he said is, ready to get to work in Arizona, can't wait. You just said exactly what the reality of the situation is, Blair. DeAndre Hopkins is a top five, top three receiver in the NFL. The Houston Texans looked at the whole of things and said, you know what? We're not going to pay this guy what he's going to demand in a year. Let's at least get some value back for him. We'll get David Johnson. We'll get a high second round draft pick and everybody can move on. DeAndre Hopkins is going to try to break the bank in Arizona. I don't think for one second that happened. And then DeAndre Hopkins tweets out today, this has all been blown way out of proportion. I love Coach O'Brien. I'm grateful for my time in Houston, ready to get to work with the Cardinals. Why Michael Irvin would say that, who the hell knows, Walsh. Obviously, he probably says a lot of things that he has no idea what he's talking about. He certainly got the reaction that he was wanting. I'm sure ESPN was happy with that, especially with the state of the sports world and what we're dealing with right now. But it brings me back to the business aspect of the NFL. And more specifically, if that were to have happened, yeah, coaches do say mean things, do certainly make digs at players. I don't see where that comparison would even take place. Hopkins is not a guy that gets in trouble. That would just be a completely asinine thing for Bill O'Brien to say. Us being kickers and punters, though, we've taken our fair share of heat. Uh, especially from coaches, if you're comfortable with it. And I'll tell you mine, what's the meanest thing a coach has ever said to you? Did you ever feel like a coach really had it out against you during your time, whether it was college or the NFL? Uh, I feel like I'm very fortunate. I never felt like a coach had it out for me. I I think, as you know, emotions can run hot on the sidelines, and especially when, you know, if a team's not doing well or they need to, you know, get off the losing streak, you know, it gets even more tense and, you know, 
I remember telling you this. I used to think losing in college was bad, but losing at the NFL is a whole different experience. Yes. Um, you know, the facility that entire week is kind of, you know, just the, the life gets sucked out of the building because people feel like jobs are on the line 24 seven. Whereas college, you kind of have that feeling of like, yeah, you know, I'm here for another three years, two years. Ah, the coaching staff is probably, you know, everyone's fine. In the NFL, it's like, man, it can turn on a dime and, you know, we could have a whole new situation next year. Um, but to answer your question, no, I, I've had, you know, I've had coaches get extremely, uh, what's the right word, angry with me on the sidelines. Yes. But I've never, I've never felt like I had anybody that had it out for me. So I'm fortunate in that regard. But like you said, I, I've seen it happen, and I know it does happen a lot in the NFL. And, um, yeah, it's just unfortunate. I, we kind of live in a media society today where it's report first and confirm later, yep. which is, yeah, opposite of how it should be. Yeah, it's just um, – it, no, you're totally right though. It's just tough because when you hear something like that, first off, you don't even know why Irvin would go live with that and put it out there when it seems like, hey, this trade – and again, nothing's been signed. These guys – David Johnson can't go to Houston and take his physical. He hasn't signed his contract, and the physical has to be passed for the trade to go through. So who the hell knows what's going to happen, but – you know, the, the the crazy statement, give your opinion, confirm it later, and then to throw O'Brien under the bus, th- those types of things, from my perspective, just don't necessarily happen in the NFL. It's a lot of black and white. There, there's not a lot of gray area. You just mentioned it. People's jobs are on the line. These are grown-ass men trying to figure out who the best people are to be in that locker room to win the most amount of games. I, I think I was in the same uh, boat as you, Blair. Very fortunate. Two head coaches, Mike Tomlin, Bruce Arians. Again, very cutthroat guys. Hey, perform, and you will be rewarded. I, I have never really found a lot of favoritism from a playing standpoint to be found in the NFL. I mean, they don't care where you're from, what school you went to, what your political beliefs are. If you can sack the quarterback, if you can rush for 100 yards, if you can throw four touchdowns, you will have a job in the NFL. The best thing that B.A. ever said to me, first off, he would only ever say two things to me during game day. He would never talk to me if I played well, which I think I kind of understood, and I appreciated that. And if I played bad, he would say, get your head out of your ass or kick the effing ball. I mean, that's what he would say to me. That's it. And then we kind of like a hat tip, yes, sir, on to the next one. And then uh, one, of, one, of my, one of my favorite stories from B.A. is he told the team, or he's told me in front of the team, he said, Butler, if you punted like you played golf, you'd be a pro bowler. And um, I didn't know how to take that. <laughs> oh, wait, you're, you're not that... You're not that good at golf. Yes, though, I am. I didn't really know how to take that. I was mm. like, you know, is that a compliment or a dig? I was like, yes, sir, I totally understand. But, you know, those are the types of relationships that these guys have. And when I saw the Bill O'Brien story, Walsh, I tossed it completely out of the window. I said, I don't believe it. Uh, and it came out that Hopkins kind of downplayed it as well. But that's the world we live in, as you just said, in the social media world. Man, it's brutal. I mean, it's absolutely brutal. And if you don't have the stones for it to be able to put up with people telling you you suck, go kill yourself, as bad as that sounds. I mean, that is the life that we live. And look, if you want to be in media, if you want to play sports, be able to put up with it. Because if you have a bad game or say something stupid or say something that people don't agree with, they will be the first to let you know. It's just crazy. It's really just crazy. And it's permeated down into the college game, Walsh. Let's start talking about college football a little bit. Former Georgia kicker, one well, of the all-time. Get, yeah, please. Too found, 
before you get too far down that road, uh, I can't believe it's only been about 25 minutes since I got to mention uh, good old Mark Rick. But to emphasize your point that you just made, uh, it was one of the first things he, he told us, Mark Rick, when we were freshmen at the University of Georgia, he said, hey, guys, I know you guys were all the best at your high school and you guys were the greatest and everybody wanted you. But when you come here, if you want to get the, if you want to get the praise from the media, when you do good things, you damn well better stand up and take it when you suck. Yep. And I remember that always stuck with me. Just answer the questions and, you know, be respectful when it goes well and when it goes poorly, and you'll end up being better for it in the long run. And I just, for some reason, those, those guys always fizzle out though. Those guys don't make it to the NFL. Those guys need to be coddled and they need to be pushed. And they just, you know, the NFL weeds them out. Everybody knows what's at stake at the NFL level and they know what's on the line and the people who are motivated and want it will always be successful. Yeah. And wouldn't you agree with, and this is always one of my favorite things um, when I was in the NFL and really just day to day, it's never as good as you think it is. And it's really never as bad as you think it is. Would you agree with that? Agreed. I mean, you're playing football for a living. And, and when you always remember that, you know, no matter what happens, it's kind of like, hey, man, we get to play football and get paid for it. It's, so it's fantastic on that regard. But, yeah, I mean, there is a severity to it when you win and lose. But you're right. You kind of have to stay that middle ground and just be like, hey, it's such a long season. It's 17 weeks, now 18, because um, you're including the buy in that. Um, but it's just such a long a long season. And, I, you know, I've been on teams where we start 5-0, and and we're talking about playing for home field advantage and, we don't even make playoffs. Yeah. So you just have to kind of keep it in perspective. Yeah. Mike Leach, who was my snapper in Arizona, one of my all time favorite guys, played for 16 years in the NFL. When I was first there in 2014, he told me, and I'll always remember it, he said, Butler, there's a fine line between caring too much and not giving a shit. And he said, you just need to find that fine line. And I was like, that is perfectly stated because like you said you can overemphasize everything put way too much pressure on yourself but you can't care too little you can't let the little things go by and that's where you really find success in that fine line so um let's talk about some georgia football you know we've talked all week on the quarantine chronicles about what's going on in the state of the world and it's just announced that the sec and really the ncaa has shut down all spring sports so no spring football practice, no spring football games. And I feel like Georgia was one of the teams that needed it most, Blair. Brand-new offensive coaching staff led by Todd Munkin, who comes in from the Cleveland Browns. Brand-new quarterback, grad transfer Jamie Newman from Wake Forest. And a brand-new special teams coordinator, a former strength and conditioning coach from Alabama, Scott Cochran. Everybody knows who he is. I think Georgia needed these 15 practices. I thought Jamie Newman was going to benefit greatly from it, getting a lot of reps with his new teammates and learning the new offense. And I guess you and I can just start from the top here. Scott Cochran, the hire of a strength and conditioning legend as the special teams coordinator. What are your thoughts on that? Because I think you and I can bring a unique perspective onto this hire and how we think it's going to work out. Yeah, I, when that news came across, that was surprising because those two things don't necessarily mesh, uh, strength and conditioning and special teams. Um, so for me, I, I, you just have to have faith in Kirby Smart on this one. Uh, he's got to know something that we don't know about um, Scott Cochran's 
X's and O's ability, for lack of a better term. Um, I'm sure that there is some sort of level of knowledge that he impressed him with that said, hey, this guy can 100% coach football and, you know, get guys to perform at a high level. But it's a really um, unorthodox hire, I guess is the right way to put it. But I'm sure he got the blessing from Nick Saban, and I'm, you got to trust Kirby on that one. It'll be interesting to see how it works out. Um, It will be. I do trust Kirby, um, and I think I've come to grips with that. When I first saw it, I was shocked. I said, okay, well, they got Cochran. That's awesome. Glad to hear. He will certainly make Georgia football better. And then you start seeing reports. They're going to name him the special teams coordinator. I sit there and go, what? Because I had thought with the lull in the hiring of new coaches, I thought Todd Hartley, who you and I know very well because he was a student assistant we were at Georgia, who has a lot of special teams experience and was a special teams coordinator at Miami, I thought that he would kind of be the de facto team's guy. Really X's and O's, return and coverage teams, get everybody in the right spots. Then they say, no, Cochran is going to be on field. Okay, what's his experience? Did he work on special teams at Alabama? Does he know the schemes? Because I know one thing. Scott Fountain, the former special teams coordinator, knew the X's and O's very well. He was kind of on that NFL level of really breaking down film, getting guys in the right position, and scheming for every single opponent, Blair. It'll be an extremely interesting transition for Scott Cochran. Will he be able to get guys to play with high intensity? Yes. Is that important on special teams? Absolutely. Will they be in the right spot? Will they know what to do? I think, if anything, Cochran will delegate a lot of his duty when it comes to scheming X's and O's. And who knows? Maybe he'll be great from a mental standpoint for the kickers. Maybe that will play as an advantage if he knows how to relate to those guys. If you take the experience from Alabama's past kickers, though, that would make me scratch my head a little bit. So who knows? You know what? Again, I give the benefit of the doubt to Kirby. I trust in the process. We'll see how it goes. But going back to not having spring practice, that gives me a reason to pause and say Georgia might not be best positioned moving forward on the offensive side of the ball. Man, they needed it. They needed Jamie Newman to get these reps with the team and to get in the lab with Todd Munkin, breakdown film, improve day-to-day. Did you ever cross paths with Munkin in the NFL, Blair? Because I know you have a lot of good relationships with a lot of coaches in the league. I did not cross paths with him. I know that, you know, he was with Cleveland last. And, you know, I love when you bring a pro-style coach into a college system because I always feel like they feel like they have more weapons to work with at the college level because you're just so deep on all the depth charts because um, you got so much talent around the building. Whereas the NFL, it's, you know, salary cap related. There's only so much you can spend on guys. You know, your third string guys are usually, there's a pretty big gap between your third string and your starter. So I, I'm sure he'll do a great job. Um, and I, I do love the hire of, of NFL coaches to, to coach at the college level. And just to reiterate something you said about um, Scott Cochran, before we move on about that, the, the big positive about hiring a strength and conditioning coach is that he literally deals with every position yeah. on the football field. And that's huge in special teams because you're dealing with anywhere from linebackers, defensive ends to wide receivers. It, it just, there's such a wide range of players that you need to produce on special teams and being a strength and conditioning coach, you definitely know how to talk to each position group, each type of player. And so Communication-wise, I think he'll be fantastic at the position. It's just truly the X's and O's, like you said, if he can figure that out. 
um, will determine his success. Absolutely. No, I totally agree. And keep in mind, Scott Sinclair, Georgia's current strength and conditioning coach, fantastic. One of my favorite guys in the building, super nice with former players, very informative. If you have a, a question, if you're training to still be in the league, if you want to go use the facility, he is awesome. He is legitimately awesome. And you can see it on game day when you watch on CBS or you're inside Sanford Stadium. Blair, the team looks so much different than when you and I were there. We were both at the Texas A&M game this year that did a little 10-year anniversary for the 2009 All-SEC guys. Man, when you see Georgia on the field now, I mean, we used to play Alabama LSU and go, oh, shit, here we go, man. I mean, that looks like an NFL team out there. I don't know how we're going to do it. But if you go to a game nowadays, you're like, Georgia's right there, if not better. I mean, they are very well conditioned. They've got the best athletes. It's up to the coaches. I've said that, and I'm doubling down on that for 2020, Blair. They've got all the coaches. You know the talent on the roster is there. Can Todd Munkin utilize his coaching schematics and really translate his coaching to the talent that he has on the roster? It remains to be seen. It it absolutely remains to be seen, so we're all going to be rooting for the best possible outcome. What are your thoughts on the 2020 dogs? I mean, Jamie Newman, uh, it seems like the SEC East is still down. I do not buy into Florida at all. Kirby owns Dan Mullen. I just think Georgia's in a really good spot right now, and it seems like the defense is just going to be awesome next year. I agree, and uh, I, I agree with the SEC East still being down. I don't buy Florida. I just, you know, I feel like they've been a little overhyped. I would take Tennessee over Florida. Uh, I'm not sure I would go that far. I think Florida's better talent than Tennessee, uh, and I think Tennessee's culture is so. I don't know what the right word is. They're, they're getting better, but it's been so bad for so long now. Um, I mean, they haven't really been relevant in 10-plus years in the SEC East. Um, yeah, it's been, a, me, it's been a while, that's for sure. Twenty dogs is that they open up with Virginia, and then they've got one more game before they face Alabama. So they'll have two games, two very winnable games, where they can walk into Alabama, who's starting a guy um, that is not Tua Tungabaloa, and they'll have a fifth-year, you know, grad transfer QB trying to take him into Tuscaloosa and give us that much elusive win. Um, as long as there's not shade to the 2008 Alabama game at Sanford Stadium, uh, I'll, I'll feel pretty good about the outcome. I just, I just see much more of of a manageable schedule. I mean, is Georgia going to go undefeated next year? Probably not. It's very hard to go undefeated in college football, as everybody knows. I think losing that Alabama game early in a battle, right, don't get blown out, which I don't think Georgia will because their defense is going to be so good. But if they do lose that Alabama game early, everything is fine, right? You would much rather drop that game and then kind of catch your strider on Florida, beat the Gators, wrap up the SEC East, and get ready for the SEC championship then beat Alabama and then falter and have a little bit of late season drama. Do you agree with me there? Because I see that playing out much more reasonable than, um, than Georgia beating Alabama and trying to run the table. I totally agree with you. And I, and I mean, I think their biggest trap game and you might think I'm crazy is when they go to South Carolina this year. Yeah. I mean, Tyler Golinski is the real deal. At quarterback, in my opinion, Good Southern California kid, by the way. No, um, no doubt. You got Bobo there now, too. The Joe real, Cox. The There's a lot of Georgia guys there. That's going to be a huge game circled in Columbia, one of the hardest places to play. 
uh, in the SEC. And again, you know what really pisses me off is the fact that Georgia plays Auburn in Sept- uh, late September, early October. I mean, that's just a joke. I, I think October third. It, it's yeah. just that. That's stupid. I, I can't get over that. Georgia did not get what they deserved to get in return for that. Auburn should have played at Sanford Stadium two years in a row to fix the schedule. They didn't do it. The SEC forced the dogs' hands, and, and and I think it's unfortunate because that was a fantastic rivalry. Always late in the season, the Deep South's oldest rivalry. And it's a shame that game's going to be played in early October. I really feel like that. So who knows, Blair, but you said it. And I think I agree with you at this point now. This far out, March 18th, that could be the game to circle at South Carolina, especially if they drop that Alabama game in Tuscaloosa. Who knows? Oh, it becomes a must-win if they drop the Alabama game. No question. It's a must-win. No question. Well, what else is going on, man? Let's wrap this thing up. Quarantine Chronicles, I appreciate your time. It's the Punt and Pass Pandemic Podcast. I'm watching CNBC right now. I have no idea why. The Dow is down 35% from record highs. It seems like the world is ending. Blair, give me some good news, please. Uh, I don't have much good news for you either because uh, obviously our, our uh, the county that I'm in currently is almost under a full-type quarantine here. Is that right? Um, why they, is they that? Shut, yeah. Just because California has such a high case of them, especially in Southern California. Mm. I have a couple of friends in San Francisco who are being told not to leave um, their residences. So, and I mean, I feel like curfews coming soon for everybody, which is unfortunate. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know what? It, the NFL free agency has almost kind of been a godsend here because it's been able to distract us from the lack of sports and positive news. So it's been a little bit at least interesting to watch guys go get paid an extreme amount of money while uh, yeah. the market uh, tumulting down. And yeah, it, it, it's just such a weird time. It's weird to turn the television on there and not be any sports. There's not really much positive news at all. There's kind of a lot of uncertainty, but you know, I, I think the thing we all need to rely on is each other and just to be smart, Yeah, you know, stay away from other people, stop the social gatherings. You know, it's not, we're going to be fine, but, you know, it needs, we need to give it the attention it needs, and uh, we'll all get through it. Totally agree with you. Absolutely 100% agree with you. I do have good news, of course. My wife is due any day now with number two. She's healthy. The baby's healthy. We're going to have a healthy delivery and get back home and continue to bunker down. But you just said it, Blair. We're going to get past this. Everybody just help each other out. Stay inside if you don't need to be outside. And most importantly, listen to punt and pass and follow us at punt and pass on twitter and instagram i'm at drew butler i actually just got my names changed blair how awesome is that no more stupid username on twitter just at drew butler and blair is at blair walsh three anything on the way out my man i really appreciate your time today absolutely thank you for having me uh my one last nugget for you and you might disagree with this i think cam newton New England makes what? A whole lot of sense. How could you not tell yep. me that earlier? And I think he's going to the Chargers, but wow, that would be crazy. I like that. Saving it till the very Garrett end. Stidham, Garrett Stidham's not ready. He's not ready yet. And uh, there's no reason the Patriots need to go into full blown rebuild mode. Bring in Cam Newton. Let him show you what he's got. You'll win. You'll win that division next year. Oh my the worst goodness. division in football. I love it. Blair Walsh Cam with the absolute Patriots. bomb at the end of this quarantine chronicle. Walsh. Really appreciate you, my man. Stay safe out there. And to everybody listening, thank you for listening. Rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And tune in tomorrow for another special edition of Punt and Pass Quarantine Chronicles. Thanks for listening.
See you.